As Latter-day Saint leaders, we face very difficult conversations that put us at risk of saying the wrong thing that can do more harm than good. Many of these conversations relate to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Have you had a fellow board member come out to you about their LGBT identity? Have you had LGBT neighbors and you just don't know what to say to them, so you ignore them instead? Have you wrestled with balancing love for your fellow men while still respecting the doctrines of the restored gospel? In order to help, Leading Saints has put together the LGBT Saints Library with more than 20 presentations featuring individuals who have a unique perspective or expertise around this topic. Three of the most popular sessions are available now to watch. Simply text the word LEAD to 474747 to start watching now or visit leadingsaints.org LGBT. Welcome back to another How I Lead segment, which is part of the Leading Saints podcast. My name is Kurt Frankham. I'll be your host and get the awesome opportunity of interviewing some incredible people. If you're new to Leading Saints, uh, we are a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through content creation. We have this podcast, which I hope you subscribe to, maybe leave a review. We also have uh, the website with thousands of articles related to leadership topics at leadingsaints.org. We have virtual summits, a newsletter that you should definitely not miss out on. And uh, that's it. So in this episode, this How I Lead segment, we talked with Stan Beagley, who's actually a bishop and a father of a special needs son named Jake. And uh, he reached out to me because he has a great project. He's worked on a, a podcast called the Navigating Autism Podcast, which sort of got uh, blindsided with his calling as, as bishop. So it's nothing he's keeping up on right now, but in the future, he hopes to have time. And they have some great episodes there that uh, you may want to check out. And uh, we wanted to do a How I Lead segment around this concept of leading those in a ward with special needs. How can we minister to them? How can we help them feel comfortable at church? Or how can we help the parents? All these interesting angles and thoughts that I'd never considered before. And it was so helpful to talk to Stan and ask him some of these questions. Solid advice. And this, also, there's this calling called the disability specialist. It's in the handbook, folks. And I would guess most wards, I can't think of a ward I've been in that's had one, at least I didn't know of. But this is a calling that the church has created resources for that we should definitely leverage and use to help our wards in this way. So check it out. We talk about it in this episode. Let's get to it. Here's my interview with Stan Beagley. Alongside me is uh, Stan Beagley. How are you, Stan? I'm great. How are you? Good. Stan is our resident expert here. <laughs> Maybe Stan, give us a, a background. Not that you're a you know quote unquote an expert, but you definitely have some life experience here. So, uh, where's that life experience come from? So we, uh, yeah, I don't have a degree in in any of this stuff. I just learned from the School of Hard Knocks, and we have a 23 year old. We have four children. Our youngest is 23, and he has uh, autism, fairly severe autism. He doesn't speak. And uh, so we just gone through this kind of difficult life process, and that's where our experience comes from. In, in those days, you kind of had to become an expert in autism because there wasn't a lot known about it then, and there wasn't a lot of support. And so really all my ideas and my wife's ideas all come from our own life experiences. We're just yeah. regular people, so. Yeah. And then uh, maybe how did the, maybe just tell us the transition into that, that sort of life, you know, cause no parent is expects it. And 
what age did, was he when you found out? And then what, uh, what was that transition of in your day-to-day life, including your church life? It was pretty brutal. You know, he was two years and nine months and he was, he was growing fairly normally. And then he started to regress and lost all his speech. And so he was just before his third birthday and it was really tough for us. It's a, in fact, that's one of the things that I, life experiences that I appreciate now is that you kind of have to go through a, a period of mourning because when you have a child like this, you have this life that you expect for them. And all of a sudden it's completely different, you know, and, and you think you can fix it or you, you're in denial. You go through all that, a lot of the same type, types of things that you do, you know, almost when you, if you were to lose a child and you know, that because the life that you expected for them is, is lost. Yeah. Yeah. You lose a child in a different way, right? The, the expectations of what that child's life will be like. And, you know, when, you know, will little, little league be a thing, you know, will they be able to go to college? I mean, all these questions you sort of assume will happen suddenly have to be reevaluated. Right? And everything that we do in our culture, where we hit the age of eight or the age of 12, our son is not baptized, won't be baptized, wouldn't understand what that means. And so every time all the eight year old kids are getting baptized, mm-hmm. we should it's, painful again and 12 year old and mission age and all those things, you know, are, are tough. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so was this something that did you pick up on something wasn't right, you know, in those first few years or uh, how did, how did that diagnosis come to be? Well, in autism, a lot of times the kids will learn, develop normally. And then when they hit two or three, they'll start to regress. He just lost all of his speech and started to do some stuff stimulatory where you flap his hands or, a rock or things like that. And so my uncle, who was a school teacher said, you need to go get him checked out. And of course we looked on the internet and tried to figure out what was going on. And every time we saw something that didn't apply to autism, we'd think, okay, he's that way. But you know, so it was, it was quite a process, quite a, a journey. Yeah. Again, not that you're the, the PhD expert here, but I'm just curious from what you could teach us about, you know, they talk about autism as a, as a spectrum. And, and then as far as like how Asperger's fits into all that, like, how would you explain that, that dynamic? So that's a good question. One of the things I actually want to talk about was it is a spectrum disorder. And every, all these disabilities in our work now, we have a little guy that's in a wheelchair and every, every case is different, not just autism, but um, you know, cerebral palsy, you know, other things like that that kids have just, you know, it's on the autism spectrum, the more higher functioning kids that can talk, but have social issues, they used to diagnose them with Asperger's syndrome or high functioning autism. And they don't use the term Asperger's syndrome anymore. Um, oh, really? Yeah. It's just, uh, they call it high functioning autism or on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And then they can go anywhere from a kid that's so, close to being normal, but they just seem quirky to some that can't even walk that are less high functioning. Like for instance, my son can't speak at all. He does know some sign language, but he doesn't speak at all. And, and he's, but his motor skills are fine. He can run and jump. And, you know, in fact, you, you might hear him in the background. He's down nice. for trampoline in the basement right now. So nice. Love that. Love that. Uh, and that's interesting because I didn't realize so Asperger is, it's not necessarily a taboo term. It's just not generally used or. Yeah. They just, I don't know why they just don't use it so much anymore. It's Asperger kind of this, the characteristics of Asperger's was they would diagnose it at nine or 10 or 11 or 12. And, and usually regular autism, if you want to call it that is, is more diagnosed younger. Hmm. Interesting. So, we use the term autism plus if they have autism and other, and other diagnosis like anxiety or OCD or things like that. So. Yeah. Interesting. And, and Asperger's, you know, you know, now 
known, I guess, categorizes the high functioning autism. It's amazing. You know, I've met several people in my life who I've maybe known for years. And then they share with me that they have Asperger's or, you know, high functioning autism. And I'm just like, man, I couldn't, I wouldn't even have guessed. Right. Yeah. They just seem a little quirky and they have, you know, I, like being in crowds, like mm-hmm. for instance, my son, we took him to church for a lot of his life and we don't take him anymore because the organ and all the, all the uh, speaking and conversations that are going on just give him real anxiety. So we haven't taken to the church for the last few years. Yeah. So, and it should be mentioned, I don't know if we mentioned already, but you recently been called as a bishop of your ward. And so you've, you're now seeing things around this issue from that standpoint. Yeah. Um, a lot of, I remember as a bishop, uh, there's this autistic boy, uh, you know, he was born in our ward and, and they, you know, diagnosed and everything. And, and, you know, we were aware of him and we, I kind of thought I was, you know, doing a decent job, make, making sure he had what he needs. And, and then his mother came to me at one point and just sort of expressed her frustration and disappointment of how her son was being treated in the ward. And I thought, oh, like, I, I, it's not like I was trying to be mean or I was really trying, you know? So when it comes to like just ministering to the family or helping them have a positive experience at church or all these things, like where do you even begin to help in that realm? That's a great, that's a great question. It's so hard because, um, we've had a lot of experience now we're, you know, he's 23 years old now. So we've had a lot of things that have worked for us and we have friends who have had bad experiences in their wards where I think maybe a bishop or a elders corn president or relief society president doesn't know what to do and how to help. So they just kind of, you know, they just kind of freeze and ignore, <laughs> ignore them a little bit or think, or, or they'll ask the parents, what can we do to help you? And they'll say, oh, no, we got it. We're good. We're, you know, because, because it's, it's hard. It's a lot of times these people that want to help and serve all the time, they don't want to have people serving them. You know, they, they're like, yeah, I, I'm the server. I'm not the servee, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's, I have an interesting story for you. We had, you know, we, a lot of people would say, how can we help you? And one of the characteristics with autism is sleep disorders. Like our son is a horrible sleeper to this day. He does not sleep well. Sometimes he's up at three o'clock in the morning and he's up for the day. Gallop, and he's a grown man. Oh, yeah. And other times he'll sleep till 7.20 and we'll have to wake him up for school. You know, so it's all over the place. And we were going through this at the first and, and we had people say, well, let me know if I can help. Or, no, let me, and, and we had one close friend who said, we're going to come and sleep outside his door. We're going to take turns, my wife and I, and come and sleep outside his door so you guys can get some sleep. And that was so cool because for them to think up a specific solution was just above and beyond. You know, mm-hmm. we were, and Kurt, I got to tell you, we were on survival mode. I mean, it was like, Heavenly Father, help me make it through today, just today. Yeah. And my wife and I, we, we cried a lot of tears for a lot of years. Just I'd be driving down the freeway and just start, you know, just start crying because I was hurting so bad, you know? And so for them to come up with a specific plan to help us was, was really cool. So you almost have to get beyond the, no, we're good. Cause that's what we wanted everyone to think that we were good when in actuality we were just hanging on by a thread. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that just being in survival mode and that breaks anybody's heart. And, and there's other, you know, contexts of mortality where individuals are on survival mode and that's not a good place for anybody to be. Right. And so, I mean, the old home teaching question or administering question of, is there anything we can do for me? Obviously you, you would have never said, well, can you come to my house and sleep outside my son's door? You know, and maybe you should have, who knows, but I mean, how do you begin to, and this was sort of my problem going back to my experience as a Bishop. Like I didn't 
even know how to perceive the need, let alone step forward and fill it, you know? So what guidance could you give us there on perceiving the need of, of these families? You know, it's, it's like, a, it's like some of the other things that I'm dealing with now as a bishop. It's like, you almost have to, <laughs> I don't know. It's almost like you have to insert yourself a little bit. I mean, I don't want to force myself on people, but, but people, if they really broke through the shell and ask us, you know, you know, or, or saw how we were doing or came to our house and they would see that we were really struggling, you know? And the, and the interesting thing is my wife and I kind of handled it differently. I was going to fix him uh, and I was going to do anything. Mm-hmm. I just figured there was a solution out there. No one wanted it as bad as I had until that point. So I, I just figured there was a way I was going to be able to do that. And my wife decided that it was important that we take care of our other three kids and, and keep our family going. And so it's a hard thing as a leader to kind of insert yourself. I, I, I guess I would just say that if you think they're doing okay, and especially at the first of the diagnosis and the first few years, they're probably really not. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So is that, is, I mean, are the first few years sort of some crucial years? Cause I imagine you sort of figure out routines and what works and what doesn't, you know, down the road, but it was the survival mode mainly in those uh, first few years. It was for us, yeah, because ours, we knew that ours was going to be a lifelong disability. In fact, my wife told me the other day that she wondered for those future few years if she would ever feel happy again, if she would ever feel happy again. So it was pretty brutal. Yeah, just just because of the the demand, I mean, the the constant care that's needed for a young child like that. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And it's been, it's been different too, as, as our families, our kids are all out of the house except for him. And uh, as our family's grown and our peers have become empty nesters, you know, we still have a, a basically two and a half year old that's out jumping. He looks like a grown man, but he's out jumping on the trap, making sounds. And, and <laughs> so our life is different than all of our friends, you know, but luckily we found great friends who have been able to kind of, you know, help us. And we have, for instance, we have people come with him on Sundays so that my wife can go to church. Hmm. You know, that's, that's something that our word, both of our words, our old word and our new word have both done this where they send people into our home in our, in our previous word, there were five or six couples that would come to our home on Sundays and sit with him so that we'd go to church. Hmm. And now with COVID, we haven't done it for a while, but here uh, where we live now, the people, they just pick it. Our ministering brother picks a different family in the ward, a, a senior couple, and they just come and sit with them so that we can attend church. Yeah. What about just, uh, you know, sometimes as I'm around, you know, autistic people, especially with severe autism, it's sort of like, I don't know how I like, do, does he want me to sit by him? Does it help if I put my arm around him? Like, how do you introduce him? And I know every autistic individual is sort of different or has their quirks of, you know, but sometimes I'm like, guys, oh, is, is he going to bite me or hit me or, you know, these types of things, you know? So what's a way of approaching that so that at least, you know, even when we're just together with friends, I can help, you know, the, the individual feel comfortable while I'm there or whatever. So as a general rule, that's a great question. As a general rule, um, I think autistic individuals like you to break into their world. They, they call it autism for a reason. They want to be by themselves. Mm-hmm. They'd rather be just in the corner by themselves. But if you'll make eye contact with them, and look at them and get in, get on their level. Generally, they like it. If they freak out, obviously, you probably shouldn't do that. But I'll tell you, that's one way to endure yourself with the parents. Is if you we have a we have a little guy in our ward that's seventeen. That every time I see him at church, I go up to him. He wears headphones, and I just mm-hmm. love him. I just I, because I have experience in this, and because of my son, 
I'm drawn to him and I just go up to him and hug him. Even with COVID, you know, I go up and hug him and ask him how he's doing. He just smiles at me and tries to get away from me. But his parents, I believe, you know, really love you trying to break into their world because mm. that's, that's what, I don't know. It's just, I asked my wife, what would you tell a bishop? She said, I would tell him not to ignore these people. If you're yeah. uncomfortable with it, don't ignore them because you don't know what to say or you don't know what to do. Just, you know, try to make an extra effort. Yeah. Yeah. And that may even say, Hey, would you mind if I came over an hour a week and just for the next few weeks and, and got to know, you know, your son or whatever. If you for a walk. Yeah. If you took him for a walk around the block, yeah. that would, I, I think you probably make the, the mom cry probably if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I should have asked earlier. What's the, what's your son's name? His name is Jake. Jake. Okay. And, and it's cause you make some great points cause it is easy. Like you engage with the parents and you know, the, the autistic individual wants to be alone essentially. And so it's easy to ignore them and just think, Oh, they're just sitting there while I'm talking with their parents, but to really push yourself to engage in those little moments probably goes a long way. Right? Yeah. They hate eye contact. So they'll look away. But if you get, if you kind of get down in there, feel the vision and make them look at you and smile. Okay. So you, you yeah. could force it a little bit. I mean, again, depending on the, the individual, but yeah. yeah. Interesting. That's great. And then what about, uh, let, let's talk about this concept of, of, uh, callings in the ward as far as, you know, a lot of people, you know, we're, we try and be in the handbook as much as possible, but there's a, an outline calling in the handbook, uh, called the disability specialist. And how have you used that calling and, and what recommendation would you have for, for others? So I'm still working through that. I have, we have a disability specialist and I just ask them to be involved with the families. Like, there's a lot of things that families don't know. For instance, you can get government help for these kids. You, there's a, in, in Utah, there's the Division of Services for People with Disabilities that will help pay for respite care, or they need to be on a waiting list for a while before they qualify, depending on the situation. But a lot of times, these families don't know anything about that. They're just, like we talked about before, they're on survival mode. You know, and when they become adults, depending on the functionality level, they can qualify for a disability income so that after the parents are gone, they can be less of a financial burden on people. So if you look at disabilities.churchofjesuschrist.org, there's a whole section on disabilities and there's an outline for the disability specialist. And again, where every case is different, I would say, you know, it's, it's going to take somebody that's assertive and can kind of, it's not a... I don't know how you'd say it. It's, it's a little bit more abstract than some yeah. things because not every ward has the same type of disability. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to conform to whatever those needs are, right? Yeah. But um, if nothing else, just the parents knowing that you have someone that is worrying about you and is, is answering back to you about how they're doing is just, it's meaningful. Yeah. So it sounds like, I mean, step one is simply call a disability specialist in your ward, right? Like even if you think, oh, well, there's nobody autistic in my ward, so I must not need it. But no, there's every, I mean, we are mortals, folks. So we, there are disabilities somewhere, larger, smart, or some that are hidden, you know, the mental health that goes on and the needs there. I mean, there's something, right? And to have somebody that the ward knows represents that calling it's remarkable maybe that some of the needs that'll come out or people that'll approach them and, and whatnot. And to know, and then step two is, you know, getting maybe your ward council on this disabilities website that the church has, the disability specialist website, and then making sure that this new disability specialist calling is aware of it. And from there, they can know of the resources that are available. Yeah, exactly. And, and the thing is too, that I think that there's, I would be shocked, Kurt, in a ward in most places in the United States 
didn't have some form of autism or cerebral palsy or Down syndrome. I mean, the numbers in Utah right now, it's, I believe, one in 66 boys have autism. I mean, it's it's skyrocketing. So it's a big number. And I can't remember, I've lived in just three wards in the last 30 years. I can't, I've I've had autistic individuals in each ward as well as other disabilities. So, but like sometimes those mental health issues are hard to see. You see somebody, you think, oh, they're just fine, but they're important. Yeah, for sure. And with autism, it's typically, it's more common in in males, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Four to one, four to one more common in, in boys than girls. Wow. Interesting. And then let's talk about uh, the effects special needs children have on their, their siblings and and peers. Cause that's a whole another dynamic, especially when those teenage years, right? Maybe is interesting time. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just, I just think this is something that my wife and I agree on. These kids have special spirits. And you know, one thing that I would say to a leader or to anybody that listens is don't go up to a person with an autistic son or daughter and say, you know, God only sends kids like Jake to the very best families (laughs) because I'm going, wait a minute. I've been to Jake's school. I know there are some families that aren't doing so great, but you know, so I mean, but it's, it's kind of their way of like, I don't know how to handle this. I'm going to try to make you feel better. Yeah. I'm trying to comfort you in all the wrong ways. Right. (laughs) But I had a good experience. I was in the bishopric in award before and we called a special needs primary and we would tell them it's just one year. And we had three autistic two autistic boys and one boy with autism and blind. And so we had three kids in this class and I always thought, Oh man, I'm dreading the people I'm going to call this for. And we would release them after a year. And I'm not exaggerating. They would cry because they miss being with these kids so much because there is a special feeling. And I think that for instance, my son, I'm going to get a little personal here, but my son was very sick when he was born. He was in a, in, in the ICU for a month. And for 10 days, they couldn't tell us if he's going to make it or not. And so after he recovered, I started thinking, okay, what's his purpose in life? You know, after, after I found out he had autism, I'm thinking, okay, why is he still here? And, and I'm convinced, and, and we've, my wife and I have talked about this, we're convinced that his mission in life is to affect other people and to teach them to love and to, I don't know, just maybe include people that aren't the same as them. Because we, I remember one particular time, we, I called a sister and let her know why we were releasing her from her calling after a year. And she just broke down in tears and said, I don't know how I'm going to deal with not being with him every Sunday. You know, you think it's going to be something that they dread, but it ends up being actually positive. And my three typical children are so great with special needs. They're, they're kind of the, the champion of the, of the downtrodden, the champion of the, the underdog. So it's just, they really have an effect on people. And I also believe there's some of Heavenly Father's most choice spirits. So um, yeah. they, they, that he, when he's around people, he has an effect on them, even though he can't speak. Yeah. So is there much of a, I would imagine with your other kids, I mean, obviously this, your special needs child needs so much attention. Do they kind of feel left out or how did you balance that or, or mitigate that? Luckily I married a woman who was really smart and she, they got, they got neglected by me, but she, kept our family together. And I, I think if you ask them, they would say that they felt like they were, you know, raised well and cared for and, and everything. But I, I was obsessed with curing his autism and she was stable enough to keep our family together. So I'm grateful for that. And that is so interesting. I just, the, 
there's nothing wrong with that. You know, as a father, naturally that's sort of part of our nature. We want to fix this thing. This, this thing's hurting our child. It feels like, and I'm going to remove it, you know? And, and, uh, so that's, that's interesting and, and probably common, right? I, I would imagine with other couples. I would think so. And, I, and it took me a long time to realize that he's not broken. He's yeah. just different. He's just different. Well, I appreciate you saying that, uh, you know, as far as that thing, not to say that, uh, you know, that they send these spirits to, to families or I, I, there's sort of this, uh, sort of this feeling that it's doctrine that like before this life, they chose this or made, they were a special spirit. And so that's why they had to come with a disability. And I would guess that that's a pretty loose doctrine, if anything. <laughs> it could be true. I mean, it's, it could be true. I, I don't know that anybody's ever said anything about it, but yeah. it's okay. I mean, I, at this point in our life, we just kind of, appreciate people making the effort it's okay but it, it's not helpful yeah <laughs> <I'm just> like, <laughs> so, so is there anything else like as far as on the don't say or do say list that uh well maybe we'll start with the don't say list that anything else that you've heard over the years that's like i know you're trying to help but that is not helping well it's, it's like i've listened to a lot of your podcasts Kurt. just you know things you, you don't try to fix it the best thing i think is this has got to be really hard for you guys you know, this has got to be really tough. I, I, you could, you know, we, people say, well, we really admire the way you're handling it. And that's, you know, that makes you feel good. Or, you know, it's the things that try to explain it away or that are not helpful, but, you know, just remembering people. One thing I would say for church leaders though, that we experience in our, in our family is, I, you know, I mean, I think that a lot of times church leaders looked at, at my wife and I as having this tremendous challenge. And so they steered clear of calling big callings, you know, like my, that was one of my questions. Yeah. <laughs> like my, my wife, the, she was in the state uh, young women's presidency and the state young women's president had asked for her two or three times. And the leaders were like, no, she's got this other thing. You know, she's got this other thing. And I was so glad that she finally was able to do that because it was so meaningful for her. And I was able to take care of him and she was able to do something because she needs that. You know, she needed that as much as anybody, if not more. Yeah. Because it is a form of like, like your, your life purpose is so much a part of your child's day-to-day existence. Right. And so for someone to say, Hey, you know, we have this other purpose that you could engage with. And, and it's sort of like this break from that thing. And it's like, yeah, I want to be involved and I, I get to go to this meeting and yeah, we'll get that other stuff covered, but I yeah. love being involved and having other purpose in life. Right. And even though we have a challenge we're you know, we're cap- we have capability, you know, and, yeah. and you know, yeah. especially for her, I, I had a couple, I, I have been into Bishop Rick and, and the state, I hope I'm not, saying too much here, but when the state president called me about becoming the bishop, he said, would having Jake preclude you from serving as the bishop? And I said, well, I think it would be really hard, <laughs> but I, but I, but I don't think it would preclude, you know, me from yeah. doing that. So, yeah. And this, especially with the wives, I think in, in our case with my wife, I mean, I think having some kind of meaningful calling has been good for her when she's had that. And I think she's probably been leaders thinking that they're actually helping her because she's, so overwhelmed or probably, you know, we'll probably miss the time or two. Yeah. And so I'm just curious, like how a leader, maybe how you'd maybe coach a leader on, on approaching that situation. Cause it, you know, don't just ignore it and act like, Oh, we're calling you as a release site president. And we're not going to mention anything about your special needs child. Right. Like, I mean, maybe just bring it up in that as you're extending that calling and, or, or 
maybe give them time to think about it. You know, maybe yeah. you need to pray about this or whatever. Any, anything you'd add to that? No, just like any calling. I mean, I think you, if you rely on inspiration and prayer and, and, and the, the spirit of discernment that you get, I, I think that you would be able to know. I mean, I, I don't know my, I don't know if I would have wanted to be, have a huge calling in the first year or two after dealing with it. But once yeah. we've settled, I mean, we're, we're quite a ways down the path now of that. And I wouldn't say it's easy now, but we've settled into what our new life is, is like. And so we're able to do things. Yeah. Anything else as far as like the, you know, callings for, for parents of special needs children that, that's worth mentioning? No, I just think uh, treating them, I mean, just to, just to treat them like any other, I mean, everybody has challenges, right? And when yeah. you get to the point where you're able to deal with it, I think you can do just, just like someone who may be dealing with, I don't know, a, a medical condition or a, a divorce or anything like that. A lot of times I think we, sometimes we overlook people and keep going back to the same, same 10 people. Well, you know, and, and I think that a lot of times callings can, can be beneficial to people who have a situation like we do. Yeah. Awesome. I feel like I breezed past too quickly. The, the disability specialist calling anything else that we haven't mentioned about that calling or how to, how to help them succeed or uh, anything like that. You know, I, I would just say really, I mean, it's like a lot of things in the church, it's kind of up to us you know, to, up to us. And one thing that I've struggled with is, is whether I have them report to me or report to the elders Corp president, the Ruth Society president. Mm. Um, I, I've got to dig in and see what the direction is there, but just being aware of them. I mean, our families in our ward now that know we have a special needs uh, disability specialist. I think it's, it's meaningful for them because we realize that they, the church leaders realize that they have a special challenge and we want to be there as a resource for them. Yeah. Cool. And then I want to make sure we, uh, before we wrap up, as far as uh, you've, you started your own podcast about uh, being a parent of uh, an autistic son, but it's maybe put on hold a little bit with your calling as Bishop, but uh, give us a plug there or, or what, what's the intent there and what can people find if they, they go to that podcast? Well, they can look it up. It's called the Navigating Autism Podcast. My, my purpose of talking to you today wasn't to plug that because we haven't done one for, but there are, there are four episodes and there's a really cute one with my three my three typical children uh-huh. where they just get around the table and discuss what it was like to have a special needs child. So anywhere you find a podcast, it's just a nap, the navigating autism podcast. Awesome. Now, is that a, is that a term typical children? Is that like how you define your others? Is that com- like a common phrase? Yeah. There's certain things we don't say anymore. Like, you know, a down syndrome, we call them down syndrome. We don't call them some of the other words that people used to use. Yeah. And if you say my normal child, it's oh, yeah. like, oh, well, I, I don't really have any normal children. I have typical children and I have an autistic child. So oh, that's, interesting. That's, yeah. And those words are kind of, sometimes they're kind of sensitive to people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And anything else as far as the, the titles and words and, and phrases that are used that would be helpful? Because I've never even considered that, that term typical children, which is, would be helpful. Well, obviously we don't use uh, terms like retarded anymore or anything like mm-hmm. that. It's, there's, it's, it's hurtful. I, I just think that to be able to see a child, a special needs child, like my son, if you tell him something, he understands exactly what you're saying. His receptive language is perfect. His expressive language is basically nothing. He does some sign, but just, I would be really careful not to talk in front of kids with disabilities because oh, yeah. you don't get their understanding. Like I've had, I've had people say, well, he's standing right there and they say, well, 
what does he think? What is, what do you, you know, does he even understand what I'm saying? Or, you know, just don't talk. If you need to talk to parents about a child with disabilities, I would talk to them individually, not with the child right there, because mm-hmm. I think they understand more. And even if they don't, it's still just a matter of courtesy. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. Cause again, they're not engaging with you verbally. So you assume that they can understand you verbally, right? But that's not the case usually. Right. So awesome. Any, what else, anything else we've missed that you want to make sure we, we cover before we wrap up? I think if I just told parents, if I could have parents of children with autism or other disabilities, I would probably just tell them to hang in there because it gets to the point where I was in Home Depot the other day and Jake was by my side and I, I kind of had his arm and, and he was making noises and rocking a little bit. And the lady looked at me and said, boy, that must be really hard. And I said, what? And she goes, well, just, and I, so I realized, Oh, I'm okay with it. It wasn't, I didn't even, it didn't even recognize what she was saying, what she was talking about for a minute. So you get to that point where, where you're, you're able, I just feel like through the grace of the savior, it's become something like the Nephites where their burdens, their their burdens weren't taken away, but they were made stronger to handle them. And I just think I would really encourage parents to hang in there, especially in the first few years, because it gets better and the Lord will bless you. Well, the last question I have uh, that I typically ask is, you know, this is a form of leadership, you know, being a parent and, and obviously being a bishop, you know, with a disability specialist and whatnot. But uh, how is your time as a parent to an autistic son helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? You know, it's a, I was afraid you're going to ask me that. I, I just, <laughs> it's just made me realize how, how, how someone who's different than us I don't think I would have sought out this life, Kurt. I don't think I would have been an advocate for special needs kids or anything without the experience that I've had. Some people do it naturally and are kind of drawn to kids like this. I don't think I would have. And it's made me be more accepting of people that are different and and trying to include everyone. It's always easy to, to, when you go to a young men's activity, to hang out with the kid who's the high school quarterback, or you know, but the kid that's in a wheelchair is a little bit more difficult and takes a little bit more more effort. So I think it's made me more accepting and more able to reach out to people like that. That concludes my interview with Stan Beagley. A big shout out to him and uh, his son, Jake. Really appreciate him sharing his perspective here to the Leading Saints audience. I would love to know, obviously we didn't cover it all in 30 minutes. I mean, this is just one experience, right? There's more content that we could create around this topic. And so whether you are a parent of a special needs individual or a, a, a disability specialist in your ward or a ward that's really figured out how to do that well, I would love to hear from you. So go to leadingsaints.org contact and send us a message. Let us know who else we should interview about this topic or even like an expert. Who are the PhDs out there or individuals who've done the research to better help us make a place for special needs individuals in our wards, in our church, in our worship, in our communities, whatever it is. I'd love to hear from you about that as well. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to access the three free sessions of the LGBT Saints Library. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the only true and living church upon the face of the earth, 
We were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.